0: Welcome to the Proud to Be Profane podcast, your initiation into the ways of the square, to resurrect the wretch and pee on the all seeing pyramid of Illuminati enlightenment. And now, here's your host, Mr. Michael Joseph. Welcome to the Proud to Be Profane podcast. Welcome to episode number 37. And since we're in rather strange times, I thought perhaps it would be fitting to talk about the upcoming election and how it relates to the idea of Americanism from the Catholic perspective, but also by the word apocalypse. That can perhaps be interpreted in a variety of ways. But is there even a way of interpreting it that you can use all of those other ways of which people might view it and still be in line with objective reality or an objective narrative attached and what I mean by that is we have this sort of what I call liberal apocalypse where their sacraments if you will seem to be under threat or in danger and a meanie faced patriarchal oppressor Archon representing the meanie patriarchal oppressive demiurge has usurped their democracy and is holding America in bondage to ignorance, and he's anti-knowledge, anti-gnosis, anti-science, and blah 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 blah. And to just have four more years of that, it's the apocalypse to them. And then you have the QAnon camp, the WASP LARP as I like to call it, there's a great unveiling there where there is 4D chess and everything that goes with it, and I don't really follow that, but it's a thing. And then you have the Catholic perspective, which may or may not involve an Archbishop Vigano as a godsend or an Opus Dei agent trying to have some sort of right-wing faction take over and steering the New World Order into a trump apocalypse, where, I don't know, Zionist Israel rules everything through vaccines and the right-wing version. And then maybe you have some people who are more in the middle, and they see all of these different groups, and there really is an unveiling of a lot of different things, but it's showing that there maybe is perhaps a primary issue that is lost amongst this on both left and right dialectics of Americanism, or left and right dialectics of laissez-faire capitalism and Marxist communism, the Sadducees and Pharisees, the Wasp-Masonic alliance, you name it. But perhaps the singularity point has more to do with the sacrificing of children to Moloch, as you find in the Old Testament. But in the New Israel, perhaps it happens in a much more modern form. Welcome to episode number 37. And we're going to talk about apocalyptic elections. And I know that sounds very ominous, And in many ways, I think it is. But at the same time, the term apocalypse is often defined in very different ways. But I think we might be able to use the apocalypse so-called as an archetype and weave it in with many different viewpoints, own version of said apocalypses, and also bring it into a grander narrative that we can find a more objective pattern revealed. But in order to do that, we also have to bring in more metaphysical analysis in regards to how we define or observe said apocalypses. So let's think about what the term means. Well, as far as I know, it's really an unveiling, right? There is something that has been hidden and now is going to be unveiled and it's going to be very grand and kind of change the course of human consciousness and Going back to the early times of Christianity, that was the context for much of the book of Revelation, the unveiling of Christ and his church, and the mustard seed that grows into Christendom and the destruction of the Jewish temple, which is basically making the old covenant obsolete, like the dying, withering fig tree. And the new covenant is for all, and is weaving together the Jewish and Gentile culture. There's no distinction between Jew or Greek anymore. And this is all stuff that we've mentioned many times throughout this podcast in 2020. And then we also have these themes of the end of an old era or regime and the beginning of a new one in a very grandiose fashion. And then there's obviously themes of judgment, reaping and sowing, and the wheat and the tares, two different camps that seem to separate out to more distinct borders or lines, and the people in the middle are having a much harder time staying in the middle. And from the Catholic or Christian side of it, there's this understanding of a remnant being preserved and protected, an elect, if you will. And then there's the ones who are against God, and it's not going to end well for them, but sometimes people get swallowed up who are innocent regardless, and those would be martyrs. But each side has its own martyrs and which ones are the more true ones and which ones are the more false ones. So we're going to take the objective analysis, mix it in with a bunch of different subjective viewpoints and analyze those, weave them together, use some typology, bring it along with historical uh, time periods that we've already been over and a lot of things that we've talked about in the podcast. We're going to kind of tie together a timeline here. That's going to be able to use this in a very holistic way. So it's not A, B, C, or D, but it's E, all of the above. And the other thing I would mention is that no matter what your viewpoint, no matter how secular, you can't get around the fact that everybody has their own religion, their own dogmas, if you will. Even if they say, I have no dogma, well, that's your dogma, that there is no dogma. So it's purely subjective, right? Or just kind of generic, agnostic, if you will. And I know this episode is off the cuff, but really we could make a sub-segment of the sub-segment and call it It Ain't Dogma as well, because this is going to be related to a lot of Catholic themes, as usual. So you can take the information and do what you wilt with it, and I'm going to be talking a bit about the Trump election and all the different strange things that maybe are tied to religious stuff behind the scenes that people aren't really noticing Or they are noticing them, but they can get a little bit overly uh, dogmatic themselves about certain things, and maybe they're missing the key picture about uh, what is the synthesizing issue that we might be able to tie throughout centuries and see as being maybe of primary importance and that everything else should be ordered and structured underneath that in the debates around it. But some people are taking that primary thing and making it secondary or making other things equal to it that perhaps shouldn't be equal to it. And again, this is from the perspective of how does God view these things and how does God order things and what does he perhaps view as more important? Now, I know people will debate what God is and what he would desire. But again, from the objective teaching of Catholicism, we have a particular standard that we can measure upon all these different things, whether you agree with it or not. The point of it being objective is that you can deliberate it out, right? That's the point of the commandments. There is an objective teaching that this is right or this is wrong, but there's a lot of subjective situations and how you might deal with that. So how do we see the subjective nature that might go with that throughout history? And again, the synthesizing point, without further ado, is the issue of abortion. I think that that's the most important thing surrounding everything going on, whether people see it or not, and I think there's a lot of evidence to show That that is the case, and like I said, we're going to go through the archives of P2BP episodes all the way back to the first century A.D. to really show a continuity here that transcends centuries and empires and all different ethnicities, cultures, uh, religious viewpoints or regimes, etc. And the last thing I mention is that some of this is a rehash of my post pseudo debate comments when I was on John Brisson's podcast talking about my viewpoints on Trump. So some of this is a reaffirmation of some of that, some of it is more of an extrapolation on it, and you know maybe some of it is a change of mind on this or that. But the point is, tomorrow is election day, and if this is an apocalyptic election, one might be asking the question, to vote or not to vote for Trump? That perhaps is the question for some. And for the former, if they're going to vote for President Trump, to what degree do they support the president? So I'm trying to have a balanced take here on pros and cons and uh, always having a concern for idolatry or trump idolatry, right? The uh, Wasp, LARP, QAnon, Trump is playing 4D chess viewpoint. And then the people who say, I'm not voting for either because they're both corrupt and whatever. So between those two polarities or, or viewpoints, I guess, we're going to see a gray area in between. And I think that that's a lot more understandable. However, <laughs> I would say to vote for Biden is completely off the table for people in the alt media who have been warning about globalist conspiracies for years and especially Christian or Catholic camps, despite Biden claiming to be a Catholic. Right. And we're going to talk a lot more about the specific Catholic aspect of this and people who have concerns about Trump and Vigano you know, endorsing Trump and all these different Catholics endorsing Trump from the more conservative side And how it's uh, being seen as just falling into the dialectic of Americanism and capitalist, you know, wasp conservatism or some sort of right wing Zionist uh, New World Order faction or masonry, uh, etc. And we'll address that all in the next segment. So I'm not going to worry about it too much here. So let's get the concerns of Trump out of the way immediately. I'm not here to declare Trump Holy Roman Emperor or anything like that. But I think there's some very interesting things that are unique and strange about the situation and perhaps apocalyptic in ways that Donald Trump is not aware of at all. Or maybe he is. Who knows? I can't uh, speak for the guy personally. But there's just a lot of crazy stuff going on. And, you know, when you're battling for the direction of the new Roman Republic in America and which way it's going to go well, you're going to have a lot of strange things probably happening. And this really depends on how you order your priorities, like I said. Uh, You have different factions that are going to promote more order or disorder. You have to deal with lessers of evils, the balancing of optimism and skepticism. And in Catholic terms, what are gnats versus camels? What are venial sins versus mortal sins? What are specks versus logs? And I'm just using those even just in a broad sense. And so a lot of people order those things different ways. So I'm going to go through some ways that I tend to order them, but like I said, we can find a consistency with that ordering throughout all the history that we're going to go through that, again, goes back to all these different podcasts that we've extensively gone through that really are going to help demonstrate and see the very severe mortal sin of abortion and the sacrificing of children to Moloch, how I believe that that is at the heart and the center of everything going on, both in the temporal and spiritual realms here with this whole apocalyptic election. And before we get into this, the last thing I would say is that there's a difference between the potential for something versus what we know. So, for example, what do we know that we're going to get with Biden? More New World Order madness that we all can agree we don't want. That is just a given. I think that most people wouldn't dispute that. Now, are there concerns with the Trump administration that are tied to some of those things people have been warning about? Well, that's exactly what I'm going to go through here. But what is the potential for those things and what is the potential also for good things that are in contrast to that, that are against that? And that is where you kind of have to have some faith and either way, you're going to get one or the other. So would you rather pick the one that has a potential for a more right-wing version, even if it's not good, rather than the known crazy Bolshevik leftist one that is overtly horrifying. That, to me, is the central issue. So with that being said, to me, the number one concern about the Trump administration and dealing with the next four years and Corona 1984, what is the real actual stance on vaccines and how would that play out? If there are vaccines that are to be distributed amongst the populace to combat COVID-1984, are they to be forced or promoted as mandatory? Now, are they going to be actively or passively mandatory, meaning they can be seen as optional, but if you don't take them, you lose all of these privileges that you're used to in society? And what does deploying the military to distribute the vaccine really mean? Because it seems pretty logistically impossible For this nightmare scenario that people would have this big fear porn about where a military officer shows up at your door and throws a vaccine in you and it happens to every single American citizen, think about the logistics of that. You can barely get all of these riots suppressed. Now I know that a lot of the police are being called back and not allowed to do these things, but nonetheless, (laughs) really think about that in reality versus the fear porn that's around it. Also consider, is it really just impossible to bust out a vaccine in the time projected and a lot of this is just rhetoric to make people feel comfortable and appease uh, all of the vaccination people who are just, you know, all on board the science train and this is just, you know, political legalism and rhetoric and just trying to, you know, uh, quell the populace even though there's, you know... a logistical impossibility of that. And again, I'm not making a comment on vaccines if they're good or bad. I'm just talking about the general mindset of most people who think that vaccines are good. I don't want to take any vaccines. I even had a personal bad vaccine reaction when I was a young teen. Um, I'm not going to go into the whole tirade on it, but I will just say, for me, my body, my choice. If you don't want to have one, you shouldn't have to have one, and you shouldn't have to be shunned from society or Uh, peer pressured by a bunch of people or excluded from, you know, whatever schools or anything like that. That's my basic position on it all. If people want to take them, they can do what they wilt with it. And I feel the same way about masks. They should not be mandatory. And we should be fine to have people wear them if they feel like it. But the people who don't want to shouldn't have to. That's pretty much how I feel about it. And ironically, again, I can agree with the my body, my choice for those particular things. But when it comes to abortion, they will say, my body, my choice, but ignore all the other instances of dealing with that basic uh, set of criteria that they have set of which they're going to judge supposedly everything. And that's the hypocrisy. And obviously the abortion issue being the central theme what we're going to talk about later, uh, that's why I tied that in. So there is that. But also, if there is a vaccine promoted, what is the situation with aborted fetus cells Uh, Because that's also an issue if uh, Trump is pro-life and he's also promoting vaccines that contain that stuff. Now, for me, also, there should be vaccines that are completely transparent where you know exactly what's in them and you have like a translation for the fancy scientific name of an ingredient. So if it's like tridroxomilopethylhide or something and you don't know what that is, there should be a guide to tell you exactly where that comes from. Now, I will say there's a grand irony here that I've seen a lot of people on the left saying they'll refuse a vaccine if Donald Trump's administration offers it. So that seems very funny to me because the left seems to be the ones who are pushing vaccines for everything. Everyone needs to get like a thousand vaccines a year. So I don't really know what to make of it other than that's just kind of comical to me. But I could support the left saying that, even if I don't support anything else they say on most issues, let's say. Um, So, you know, that, in my opinion, is like a strange positive if you're going to get a natural resistance to it. And maybe that would organically have it be distributed as optional and not mandatory. So go figure, right? So I don't want to elaborate more on that. There's probably a lot more that could be said. But nonetheless, if we get Joe Biden, I think we know exactly what we're going to get. We're going to get extreme vaccine overdoses and the left will try to enforce them on people. And then when they're in charge and other people want to refuse them, they won't be so kind as per the other situation where Trump's saying we need to take them. They won't take them. Right. So just typical hypocrisy. And I think it would be absolutely silly to think that we would get somehow a lesser vaccine agenda under a Biden administration than under the Trump one, which is more unknown exactly what all of that would look like. So, let's go to the second main concern, the nation of Israel. Obviously, I am uh, not a huge fan of neocon wars that stem from 9-11, nor a lot of the issues that surround the Zionist state as we probably went over many times. And we'll continue to go over with the uh, sister episode to our Zionism uh, episode using the Marxist or Trotskyite Lenny Brenner's book on the 51 documents. That's something that's coming later, but we're going to get way more into Zionism, even though we've already gotten into it quite a bit in previous podcast episodes. However, I will say this, in doing all my investigation into Zionism, I actually have a lot more sympathy for particular Zionists or particular factions, I guess, or just people in Israel. I I understand it a lot better now. And I think there is a tendency in the alt media to overly demonize zionism and bring it up to the number 1 new world order entity that we should all fear and i don't think that's exactly accurate either i do think there's a dialectic of bolshevism and zionism as we discuss in the zionism episode where churchill was talking about the battle for the soul of jews being between zionism and bolshevism but obviously the vatican position is that they're both flawed but i do think that the bolshevik version is way more destructive And there's actually things that you could probably work with a less extreme Zionist regime or Israeli faction uh, to harmonize on certain things with. Very similar to what I'm talking about here with Trump versus Biden, right? Biden represents like the crazy Bolshevik factions, whereas Trump and the Zionist faction, maybe there's particular groups that you could work with and harmonize with. But you can't just act like it's all going to be a kumbaya thing going on with conservative Christian values at the center of everything. You still have to deal with all of the other issues that we've been talking about, you know, forever on this channel and this podcast, especially. But this very same battle relates to battles within Catholicism, where we have the Bolshevik Judaism that has a parallel with what I call Sadducee or Gnostic infiltration Catholics, or people succumbing to those ideas and infiltrations, like Biden, Pelosi, Newsom, Cuomo, Podesta, that whole clique, And then the other side of the coin with the uh francis you know jesuit infiltration that happened the social justice crap and you know the whole new world order globalist u.n agenda that's tied to that and as always i got to make the distinction the jesuits of the first few hundred years of existence leading up to about the mid-19th century or about the time of world war ii on the whole excluding exceptions were much more in defense of the old catholic regime the traditional catholicism the old world order and combating all of the new world order forces, whether they be Zionism or Jewish Bolshevism or capitalism or Freemasonry, Protestantism, whatever it is. That distinction is always implied because I've talked about it so many times, but just in case I just wanted to make that known that the Pope Francis Jesuit order in America magazine and all that stuff is the infiltrated version of it. And it's very similar to the Catholic church where there was Catholicism before 1960. Just like there were old school Jesuits before 1960. But back to the point with Israel. Again, regardless of support of Israel or being allies with Israel, what does that mean? How does that look? Is this a deceptive new world order under Noahide law rule and it's just a gigantic facade? Perhaps. And that's certainly a concern that I've addressed many times, especially in occult Catholicism. And this is all part of the concerns we'll address in the next segment of this podcast, and I can't really expand upon it here because we're going to run out of time. But to break it down simplistically, is there a crazy ADL anti-Semitism golem that's fully on board with the liberal progressive ideas and Biden? And that would be helped far more if Biden was elected and be far more destructive on the whole than a particular version of pro-Israel from Donald Trump's administration That could have some potential positives, despite some of the negative red flags that are always looming in the background, right? More on that again in the next part, but I've also read tons of uh, comments and uh, rhetoric from Jewish or Israeli media that also hate Donald Trump and are uh, in just as much of an apocalypse fear porn about him getting elected as screaming liberal women recording themselves freaking out in their cars. Moving on to the next issues, um, and I'm not going to say much on these. I'm just going to, you know, just mention them real quick. Uh, Issues three, four, and five, order them how you'd like. Uh, To me, number one and number two are the most important, the most concerning. Obviously, from the Catholic perspective, the Christian perspective in general, there's the LGBT issue, uh, Trump being still on board with a lot of that stuff. And for me, I'm not as worried about uh, Trump's support for this For reasons I won't get into here, there's not enough time, and I want to be very careful when I make the distinctions and deal with my thoughts on all that. But I will say, though, that anything that holds off the LGBT agenda from becoming full-on tranny apocalypse where eight-year-olds are allowed to have sex change operations and that's totally cool, which is exactly what Joe Biden has no problem with, well, I'd say that's a greater good And I actually have a lot of respect for people who are in the gay community that are calling out that stuff, that they see the LGBT agenda for what it is, and they want nothing to do with it. And oftentimes they are vehemently attacked by those same communities. It's the same with black conservatives who are still looking at things in racial terms and more of a materialist sense. However, when they turn away from the democratic plantation, as they call it, and the BLM hypocrisy, They get called, quote unquote, house Negroes and all these other horrible, degrading things. And it's just really messed up what happens to those people. So I have a lot of sympathy for people who are part of those communities, but they're turning away from them and they are seeing uh, something better despite still being caught in some of those uh, dialectics or issues. But I think the most important thing is that they're looking to a president who has more of the pro-life Uh, potency, if you will, right? The potential versus what we know about Biden and what's going to happen with all of the tranny apocalypse, another apocalypse version there, and abortions worldwide, mass vaccinations, and the rule of the scientist technocracy. And I know that I have a number of gay listeners, and I appreciate that they continue to listen despite my return to Catholicism. And again, for me, I respect people like milo yiannopoulos a lot and the people who see through the agenda and don't want to have anything to do with the pride parades or stuff like that and see it as one giant golem uh, for new world order hegemony and agendas and i respect that and there's no reason to rehash the catholic positions on all that because they already know and i find it admirable all the people who can reject those things in these forms that we're seeing being radically promoted enough said moving on foreign wars i'm no geopolitical expert so i'll keep it brief i know there's some concerns about the safety of christians in the middle east in regards to american foreign policy and troops i've heard that there are things trump has done in peace deals that have helped that i know that also peace deals can be deceptive sometimes i'm not an expert so i'm not qualified to talk on any of that i'm sure that there's issues on both sides there there's also the economic issues of usury and capitalist interests and I'm even less qualified to talk on that, so I'll just shut up and say, at least as long as there's an effort to maintain national borders, uh, distance from China, which I do think is a huge issue, uh, especially when uh, the Catholic Church is selling out Catholicism, dealing with China and ties to the Pope Francis regime, and this gets into Carl McCarrick stuff and all this other crap that we'll probably touch upon in the next segment. Um But I do think that maybe there are times when China could be oversold as a boogeyman in that sort of Cold War dialectic. But nonetheless, I don't think it should be downplayed or act like it's not a problem or not a central issue, a primary issue. And we know what we get with Biden. We get open borders, Chinese collusion that they lie about with, you know, laptops or whatever. uh, And all this chaos and you know, the whole weird coronavirus connections and social credit score system, one-child abortion policies, everything that goes with that. And we're going to, you know, discuss or allude to that a little bit as we go through uh, the rest of this segment here. So enough said on that. But those are all my red flags and warnings that I see with the Trump regime. But like I said, consider the alternative. And I know that a lot of these things are criticized by the people who are from the Catholic traditional side, if you want to call it that, who are wary of Archbishop Vigano's endorsing of Trump and all these other supporters, people like, I guess, Taylor Marshall, Michael Voris. And this relates to right-wing conspiracies involving Opus Dei infiltrators and right-wing masonry and all that kind of stuff. Now, I certainly understand where they're coming from, but I think there's also some straw man attacks that are made on a lot of these folks in many instances, and trying to take what they say favorable about Trump and act like they never said anything bad or had any concerns and that they're only saying glowingly positive things. And I haven't seen that from a lot of these different groups or particular ones. And so I think sometimes they're projecting a Trump idolatry when it's not there because they don't like these people. They don't like these different Catholic outlets. Um, and there's a lot of problems in my opinion, but uh, people getting cranky about the SSPX and whatever. There's all this Fatima stuff that's related to it. This is all stuff, again, we'll talk about in another segment for this episode because that's the Catholic side that a lot of people might not be as aware of, but I'm sure plenty of the listeners are. So enough said on that for now. We're going to talk all about Trump, White House exorcisms, Fatima, and all the crazy stuff going on with uh, the Catholic influence there and the battles within Catholicism uh, regarding that. And the miscellaneous points I would mention before we move on to the primary issue of abortion, I would say that from the Catholic or Christian perspective or the general alt-media perspective that's against New World Order shenanigans, if we support or vote for Trump and he and the administration are a disappointment to whatever degree, either a full-on New World Order deception and it was just a huge dialectic and you know, deep states within deep states and we were all duped, Or it's just that he didn't follow through on the things that are more important and, you know, nothing really changes because of an unwillingness to take enough of a stand on the essential things. Regardless, is that not better than a full on New World Order Biden where he's just this puppet who they're going to use how they wilt with? And we know exactly what we're going to get. And there's that whole great reset agenda that's pretty out in the open. That's really not as conspiratorial as most people want to say it is. um, If that's the actual dialectical psyop and Trump's just a new world order Trojan horse uh, to get everybody to vote for him and institute that great reset. Are you going to try to tell me that that great reset wasn't going to be tried to made happening under Biden? And if we're going to get it either way, like there's going to be a president elected, what are we going to do about it? And if they're both pushing this great reset button, one's completely more, hidden ones more overt. Ultimately, it still doesn't matter. It's the same result. And what are you going to do about it? Uh, I get it that you would feel betrayed, but also would a Trump uh, New World Order chastisement be a lesser chastisement than a Biden one? And if you decide not to vote because you think that that's what's going to happen, what about the stakes that if that's not the case and that something about the Trump administration is a grace from God, meaning there's an extended hand It doesn't mean that Trump is God or he's going to save the world or anything like that. But there is a potential, there is a grace that is extended. But from the Catholic perspective, we have to cooperate with that. And if we don't, maybe Trump's administration would just lead to a crazy leftist administration afterwards. Maybe it would be a transition to bring about something even better after. And it's not really so much about Trump doing a lot of good things, but at least saving things off to allow for good things to happen. There's a lot of unknowns here. And I don't think anybody's suggesting that if Trump gets elected, it's going to be like, oh, job's done. Everything's magically going to be transformed against the new world order. And we just have to sit back and enjoy the show. I don't hear people talking like that. The point is you actually have to cooperate with the little bit of an extended hand that you're given, even if it's not ideal, right? And again, my whole view is that there is this, kind of pagan Roman emperor vibe to Trump that's sort of a modern day battle what was going on in the first century AD. Reminds me also of a Protestant ruler like King Frederick William IV who was more favorable to the Catholic Church and at least a pope at that time that was much more, you know, dogmatic. Um, where now Trump's more favorable to the more dogmatic uh, Catholicism, but they're not in control of the papacy. People like Vigano, right? But, When those Protestant rulers like King Frederick William IV were favorable to Catholicism, their own regimes turned on them. And it was both left and right factions. It was both the Protestant uh, anti-papal powers and the Masonic liberal powers. And they were all blaming everything on the Jesuits, the Jesuit conspiracy. Now, again, the Jesuits have been flipped. They've been inverted. So this is a difference of the time period, but it's the same uh, core Principles or factors just with different clothing, right? And so that's my point. When you see both sides of a dialectic uh, aiming their angst at somebody who just has a potential to be working with some of these dogmatic Catholics like Frederick William IV, man, a lot of the same things we're seeing now with Mr. Trump and some of the different battling factions where certain neocons are turning against him, certain Republicans are turning against him, and they're aligning with. The liberal Democrats, they were always supposed to be against. And so, is that exposing a dialectic, but there's also a synthesis? And that's going to, again, get into the abortion issue and what's actually being done about it, or what's potentially uh, something that could be done about it versus, you know, the typical neocon talk a big game about it and really just not do anything or allow passively for things to happen. And finally, I would say. Back in the first century AD, we had an old pagan Roman republic or empire or emperors that took it over, right? And there were all these battles. And eventually, one of those emperors was converted. However, sincerely, it doesn't matter because that was the instrument used to plant the roots of Christendom, right? It doesn't matter if Constantine was truly a Christian in his heart. We don't know. And we're not going to assume anything. And I'm not going to assume that he wasn't. But is that the reality of how these things work rather than this amazing figure who was the most pure Christian of all time and saint? That doesn't need to be the case for God to do something for Christendom, right? And can we apply that same thing to Trump here? And think about America as a new Rome, because if there's any systemic uh, problem in America, It's anti-Catholicism. We know this, and we're going to go again through the book, Transatlantic Anti-Catholicism in the 19th century. That's really going to be very apocalyptic in its unveiling of just the amount of anti-Catholicism that was going around in the 19th century. But that was the dogmatic Catholicism it was attacking. Since 1960, that's a different story. The Americanist Catholicism is the one that's always accepted. So, this is where the battle is, and is the new Rome of the American empire that's been spread out throughout the world. Well, the plan was to use that as the new world order tool, but maybe there is a monkey in that wrench and God is putting an unexpected uh, roadblock in front of that. And it's God's doing, not Trump's doing. That's the point. That could be a perspective that would be taken. And that's what we'll talk about more in the second part or the next part. We discuss the Catholic issues here, but this would fit the pattern. That's all I'm saying. There's very interesting patterns that you can look at that relate to everything going on. You might have to reorder some secondary or tertiary things here, but the primary things are still there. They're still present, nothing new under the sun. But you also can't predict the future of that because people have free will and how they choose to engage with what they're given, like we said earlier. That's the key issue. And so from the Catholic perspective, prayer, penance, fasting, and all that stuff, You got to do that no matter who is uh, up for election in the White House and who you would either choose to vote for or not vote at all. None of those things change the foundational core things of what the Catholic Christians or Christians in general should be doing uh, in troubling apocalyptic times and elections. So with that being said, let's move on to the primary issue and what I would relate primarily to the quote-unquote errors of Russia from The Fatima prophecies, like I said, we're going to go into that more in the next part. But I personally think that that is the primary thing that's attached to the errors of Russia. Um, And I think we can make a good case for it with everything we're going to go through here. And so I think that this is what this is all about right now. And this is the sole reason I would support Trump, despite all of those other red flags I mentioned, is because the sacrament of the left, or one of them, is abortion. And that, to me, has been completely unveiled during this whole apocalypse now. And people are either going to see that in a very obvious and ominous way or they're not. I don't know the reasons for it, but it, to me, is just uh, apparent as day. And that is often what I think a lot of these Catholic factions battling about Vigano and, and, oh, he's you know an infiltrator. Oh, why is he supporting Trump? I think it's the abortion issue, and I think that most of the Catholics that see that, I'm of a similar mindset with them, even if I disagree with them on this or that, or even some kind of important secondary things. To me, uh, nothing is more important than this issue right here. And again, the potential to reduce or even maybe overturn something like Roe v. Wade. I'm not saying it will happen. I'm not saying that the Trump administration couldn't completely blow it and do nothing. I'm saying the potential. Is there, And that's scary enough for all of these, quote unquote, satanic forces on the left who are fighting desperately to keep their sacrament intact, whereas they have no problem shutting down the actual Catholic Church's sacraments and the infiltrators in the church or the people going along with their uh, rhetoric are helping to aid and abet that. Right. And those ones are all against Trump. So something very strange is being weeded out to the left and the right here. And this is just like the book of Revelation, the wheat and the tares. I think that that's very telling. Now, again, people can claim that Trump is a fake pro-lifer and they'll usually point to some failures or whatever. Again, I'm going to refer back to the gnats and camels analogy and that Prisca theologia mindset that's really more akin to Gnosticism and is antithetical to the history of Christendom and how it even came about. I've seen enough evidence to show that there is historical pro-life stuff that to me, I just find baffling that that's actually happening. It's like very strange to me. And again, I would also say that the whole guilt by association as an ipso facto paranoia, I'm just over that stuff. Even the church fathers and saints had their own issues or some were favorable to other quote unquote heresies or whatever. And then I would also mention people to look at their own life and see Where do you stand up and you never make any compromises and you're just this perfect virtuous person at all times? And if you're not, and you're actually not doing as much as you project onto these other leaders and want them to be doing, well, are you just a giant hypocrite? Because the fact of the matter is, if God extends his hand and doesn't give you the ideal situation, well, you must respect it. Otherwise, you might risk, quote-unquote, blaspheming the Holy Spirit and now you're going to attribute to God's works or his graces as the works of Satan. And I think that that's a very dangerous line with everything going on and dealing with uh, you know the idea of Catholics being for or against Trump and criticizing the ones that are for him and also uh, creating straw man to act like they're making Trump into a god when they actually aren't. They're just supporting the good things and perhaps those good things are much more important so they're talking about them a lot more And that's on the consciousness and the tip of everyone's tongue, because that is the primary issue, combating the mortal sin of aborting your children and sacrificing them to Moloch, right? So let's go through the timeline here about this sacrifice to Moloch and this sacrament, so-called, of abortion. So let's begin with the Gnostics in the first century. We know from Gillis Crispel's essays on Gnosticism that we've been over many times in occult Catholicism, and all the stuff with Sophia, the Gnostic abortion, and everything that goes with that. We discuss all of that in occult Catholicism, so if you're unfamiliar with that, please go to that series and watch those segments. But we know that there was a faction of Jews who were revolting against the pagan Roman rule, and this is very parallel with the secular jewish left today in my opinion because these particular gnostics thought that god had abandoned them and he's supposed to protect them from the heathen um and they started to view the cosmos as a miscarriage or an abortion right their god is actually an abortion he has aborted the jewish people and now the pagan evil trump emperor is ruling over them and there's an abomination of desolation that is ruling over them right Or did those particular Jews abandon the moral law, and that's actually their natural punishment? And this is all in the Old Testament. When you don't obey the commandments, you get ruled over by the heathen. So were they projecting everything that they were doing on themselves, which is basically the story of Satan, onto the Creator, calling the Creator evil and exalting them above the Creator? And that was part of the Jewish Gnostic revolt and the whole abortion aspects of the Demiurge, whereas there were some Gnostics that got mixed in with, I think it was like Plotinus, where the Demiurge, or the Creator, was more of a neutral figure, or even perhaps good. And that is really, I think, what a lot of the you know Christian states were asking of people. Even if you don't believe in God, or you have a generic conception of Him, as long as you can associate that with something good, you're on a better path than saying that, The God of creation is evil in an abortion, and that physical creation is evil in and of itself, which is what the Gnostics believed. And recall that women were representative of this demiurge because childbirth is seen as a good thing. But to these Gnostics, that would be trapping another soul in matter, and therefore childbirth would be evil. Therefore, having abortions would be like a sacrament to them, if you can see what I'm saying. And so, as we mentioned, we see this same strangeness reflected here, where we have the Roman Emperor Trump representing the evil Demiurge. Remember, go back to the Trump tarot cards we talked about. There's all of that weird Gnostic symbolism where he is portrayed as the lion serpent, you know, the serpent tail of the American flag that Trump's sitting on. He's always depicted as like a lion's head. That's his campaign logo. And he's holding the world in bondage, right? The Sophianic wisdom In exile is in bondage, right? And that's just an allegory for the diaspora that these Jews were put in. And out of all the Jewish factions, it's really the liberal Jews who hate Donald Trump more than anything. And ironically, we'll call him a Nazi, even though he is much more favorable to Israel and is seen as like the most Jewish president ever by Israel. So is that just the funniest hypocrisy ever? Just taking it on a purely measuring the same standards value. Uh, not talking about any of the red flags of Zionism or Israel, just on that strictly one-to-one equation, it's just a great irony. So are these liberal Jews who are all about Gnosis and scientism and whatever, like the Gnostics, you know, tradition boasts of, well, are they upset because they are under a Roman Emperor Trump's rule, <laughs> so to speak. And they're having their own weird Gnostic rebellion against it and then conflating him with Christianity in general and the Old Testament God and, you know, calling everything Abrahamic or whatever it is, right? Um, Obviously, I think the whole Abrahamic word is just a propaganda, false conflation of things, despite some overlap in particular areas. But setting that aside, we know that the new Israel from the Catholic perspective is the Catholic Church. So do we have an interesting modern reflection of this, whereas the old liberal Jews, Uh, just before Christianity or during Christianity were rejecting this evil demiurge and pagan Roman rule and calling it an abortion. Um, Do we have that with Catholics today? Because if this is the new Israel, that's just a succession of those Jews um, in consciousness or the, you know, the culture, but that's a rebellious one. So you have all these people in the American Catholic churches who are, saying, oh, maybe Gnosticism is cool. Let's talk about the Gospel of Thomas. I've witnessed this firsthand. This was being taught in an RCIA program for my fiancé and ultimately ended up causing some drama trying to deal with that. And needless to say, we're not there anymore. (laughs) But nonetheless, I've seen that firsthand. So this is like the modern day Jewish Gnostics or Sadducees, uh, but in the new Israel, right? So that's really no different than these old school Jews, but that tradition kept going on for the Jews that rejected Christ and now those two people, those two sides are aligning with each other. The liberal Jews who everything that's anti-Semitic is tied to criticizing liberalism, well, those are hand in glove with those types of Catholics that are in the Catholic Church. That's the Bidens, Pelosi's, or whatever who love Ruth Bader Ginsburg and are so sad that she died. That's one side of this coin Uh, and those types of Catholics hate Trump with a passion too. It's very bizarre. So setting that aside, uh, these Jewish Gnostics were very enamored with Platonism much more than Aristotle as far as I understand. Now the church was able to bring Aristotle and Plato together and purge the things about both of them that were pagan and not going to work with the Catholic morality or uh, understanding of God, but it took the things that were good. However, in terms of a version of the state, Plato's was far more radical and progressive, as we would see these days, than Aristotle. Uh, From what I've read, Aristotle was more about the family unit as being the backbone of society, and that's why a lot of people say, well, Aristotle probably would have converted to Christianity had he been alive. Uh, Plato, I'm not sure about. People say maybe, but he's got some weird viewpoints from what I've read, and Plato's Republic has, like we talked about in the... uh, New World Order, vegan agenda, a UN agenda, and occult Catholicism. There's these weird themes like vegetarianism for the masses to keep them weak and passive and subservient to the state, while the elites are eating meat but acting, you know, like they aren't, or they're going to just promote all that stuff that they're not doing themselves. Right. Very similar to how we see all the uh, liberal leaders who say we must all wear masks and keep our dog muzzle on our face, yet. They don't have a problem going in and getting their hair done at salons and not wearing masks or whatever it might be, right? And then they'll criticize the pagan Roman emperors like Trump uh, when they don't wear their masks and all that kind of stuff and call them out on hypocrisy. So you see all these horrible tactics. And you also see that in Plato's Republic, male and female were equal in roles. But the reason they were equal is because Plato related it to the role of dogs. So we're just animals once again. And male and female guard dogs both perform the same duties, so why can't that be like male and females in society? That's completely contrary to the Aristotelian state and the family unit, etc. And there's also aspects of reincarnation in Plato, and this gets into basically Darwinism, right? That's just like a pantheistic secular Hindu reincarnation. We've made all these parallels in occult science, occult Catholicism, and All the other research that we've gone through in the Rockstar Esoterica member section, uh, whether it's the Pike Templar series or Barwell's memoirs, the state also would have their own breeding programs. And it's kind of complicated, but they had this way of arranging people to breed, but they thought that they were uh, getting things by chance by drawing lots and then they'd have them go off and have sex, have children. But then the children became the property of the state and children were seen as like kind of common property. And again, very like that communistic nanny state model. And the state is basically God. And this is antithetical to the family unit version of the state of Aristotle and also, as we mentioned before, the Catholic Church instituting divorce laws where you can't get divorced. This was actually to help women uh, because there was a lot of weird stuff going on. Even in the uh, pagan Roman version of it, uh, there was still abortion going on on the right side. Uh, despite the Gnostics and their whole abortion weirdness and, you know, the cosmos is an abortion stuff. So the synthesis point in this pagan world is that abortion was a normal practice amongst many of these tribes, despite a few Roman emperors who were against it or outlawed it for uh, short periods of time, depending. But this is back to the Old Testament culture, where the difference between the Jews before Christ, that is, this is very important, And the Gentiles surrounding them is that the Gentiles were the ones all sacrificing their children to Moloch. They were practicing infanticide in whatever version. And the Jews were supposed to not succumb to that, despite that they did a lot of the times, and then they were punished for it. This is very similar to the Catholic Church being the new Israel. And you have all these Catholics saying you could be pro-choice Catholics because you're deferring to the state as God, just like Plato's Republic, over your own religion. And that is the sin of Americanism on some level. So you can see it all repeating here, but it's different clothing, and you have to go from the first apocalypse, an unveiling of the Greek and Jewish culture being merged together in the new Israel and Catholic Church, and you have to apply that new paradigm of the Jews rejecting that and forming modern Judaism. That brings in a whole different set of circumstances and reordering of it in modern day. And so we can also recall from Gillis Crispel's Essays on Gnosticism that there is a dialectical Marxism that was built into the rhetoric of these early Jewish Gnostics and the idea of Sophia and exile in the diaspora. And they were searching for this utopia and that history was a result of dialectics of people worshipping the Demiurge. And now finally, their Tikkun Olam secular Judaism or even maybe like Kabbalah Judaism like we saw with B'nai Baruch that's all tied to liberal progressive values, LGBT abortions and all that kind of stuff. That's their utopia. And that's that Jewish revolutionary spirit coming from like that Gnostic Jewry or that Alexandrian Jewry that Freemasonry boasts about uh, being successors of, right? So that's kind of like that progressive Masonic Jewish alliance there. And on the opposite side of that, we have the pagan ethno state like the nazis having that dialectic with the zionists who are like the pharisees right so there's like a phariseeism of the pagan tribes in terms of you know their purity and and whatever and you have that in the jewish side as well so that's the dialectic of zionism and nazism whereas the other dialectic is like you know the jewish liberals and then the french revolution progressive tradition or whatever that turns into american liberal democracy so, there are two factions, and I get that the Zionist one is the concern from the Trump side, but how much of that is actually tied to an ethno state versus just a general uh, Christian understanding of it? And I think that that is something that is very different, in my opinion, and why there's a bit more hope in that versus some of the dangers that I see with Zionism in the more radical forms. That is the distinction I would make. Um, but a lot of people are going to just conflate it all, and I think that that's why trying to go through the Zionist uh, understanding and the different factions, like we've been doing, is really important in all of this to kind of flesh that out around Trump's relationship with Israel, and we'll get more into that, you know, in the future. And so this whole Sophia and exile dialectical primitive Marxism from these Gnostics. This is basically seen as the liberal progressive tradition, you know, that's their roots. Uh, And this we can find tied to the Greek pederasty culture. We talked about, um, you know, the chattel slavery, the transatlantic slave trade coming from the Muslim Turks that had that LGBT ruler culture and it was enslaving Christians. And that's actually probably the real source of the slavery that everyone complains about in uh, American history that the Protestants were succumbing to. And this is all stuff that we deliberated, again, in part two of the uh, COVID-1984 and racism, right? From the book, Christian Slaves, Muslim Masters, which is really important for anybody to read, I think, who is sensitive to the slavery issues in America. And show sure, it's, it's a lot different than you think it is. And it's not so, quote unquote, black and white uh, as much as people want to make it out to be that way and also consider that the quote-unquote dark ages that the Enlightenment was constantly railing against, well, that power of Catholic Christendom usurped this faction of Alexandrian Jewish liberals, especially when Cyril, the Bishop of Alexandria, who was made into a saint, how dare the Catholic Church have made this horrible, bigoted person Cyril into a saint who roused up the Christian mob to kill the free-thinking Hypatia, right? We've seen all that propaganda coming from Carl Sagan Albert Pike, Manley Palmer Hall, at Madame Blavatsky, right? The Freemasonic Theosophical School of Occult Science uh, basically had their own LARPing history on making Cyril of Alexandria the evil baddie, the evil Demiurge, and then making Hypatia being this amazing free-thinking person. And we've already went through that, so we're not going to rehash that here. We're not going to make a big, long tangent on that. But nonetheless, it's certainly a factor here. And then again, we have the weird stuff tied to the Gnostic Gospels Uh, The Gospel of Thomas, and I know people debate and say it's not really Gnostic, but usually it's seen as being encritite Gnostic factions. So we're not going to get into the uh, semantics of that. But we know that (laughs) at the very end of the Gospel of Thomas, very conveniently, they they throw it in at the end. Uh, There's the uh, apocalyptic bomb that's dropped of women aren't being worthy of life that supposedly the Apostle Peter, the rock of the church, says to Christ, And then Christ's solution is that, oh, we just need to make them into men, transgender them. Obviously, the left will uh, make a spin on this into being an equal rights statement, right? But the idea that women were seen in their femininity as being evil intrinsically. And that was of the Gnostic Demiurge, the Catholic creator God, and we got to get rid of that. That is what a lot of these radical Gnostic factions were supporting, And we tied it to all the weird transgender stuff going on in the Greek cultures, Venus's penises, right? And this also gets into the Crowley ritual magic weirdness, where in Crowley's mind, ritual magic is reenacting the myth of a deity in order to, you know, empower your will or whatever goes with that. So that's why having an abortion, you're recreating the Gnostic myth of Sophia, aborting Ialdabaoth, and like we see with the Hollywood movies, Rosemary's Baby... Directed by the liberal Jewish Polanski, um, who may or may not have pedophilia ties to him, or at least a raping of a a young girl. Uh, Screwed up story, we're not going to elaborate on that. Um, Also, you know, Prometheus, the girl getting the black goo and having the abortion of the demon spawn and all that stuff tied to that Gnostic myth. Uh, which tends to come out of liberal Hollywood, uh, whether it's Jewish factions or not. It's all the same thing that's tying back to this Gnostic weirdness in abortions. I think what we'll do is we're going to start to wrap it up here. And in the next episode, I'm going to make it free because it's a continuation of the abortion issue and that common thread that's leading all the way up to the battling factions today. And then for the paid section, we'll go through the little Catholic battles within all of this. But to wrap it up and kind of set the foundation for the ancient world and all of this uh, abortive Gnostic weirdness and, you know, the uh, sacrificing to Moloch, if you will, well, we know the Old Testament, the archetype of the pagan tribes is associated with infanticide. Whether the Jews succumbed to that or not depends on, I guess, the time period or the different factions. But also consider that the Roman rule, which the Gnostics hated, didn't really have a problem with abortion, generally speaking. And as we mentioned, divorce laws were seen as liberating for women once Christianity took over. That means that the father couldn't divorce the wife, leave her, or uh, choose to abort the child, because I guess that was common Roman practice to just abort their children as well, even coming from the, uh, you know, the warmongering right uh, Roman faction, right, that again represents uh the patriarchy of America and the, the neocon agenda and the capitalism. Um and we'll deal with this when we get to the noble savage episode in the future on the P2BP podcast here. Um but if you in the meantime want to listen to more on this, see uh Tim Flanders at Meaning of Catholic on YouTube. He does a lot of good uh you know talks and lectures on this and the uh, actual women's rights of Christianity uh, despite the modern world trying to say that it was oppressive and evil and Christians were all about suppressing women, is actually the opposite in the context of those times back then. and it was actually the Gnostics who were oppressing women, calling them intrinsically evil and worshipping the demiurge through you know embracing childbirth, right? And we'll see that later on with the cathars, which are going to rehash at the beginning of the next segment because there's so many parallels to what the Cathars were doing to the left today and what's happening right now. But, like I said, the capitalist, warmongering, neocon archetype that's all about expansion, conquest, male dominance, well, abortion's still just fine, that laissez-faire capitalism, generally speaking, where it's like the Ayn Rand side of that coin of secular atheism, but she was reacting against the Bolshevik side of that, right? So as much as I can, you know, uh, appreciate certain things about Ayn Rand and her more Aristotelian ways of ordering society – She still didn't have any problem with abortion or any of these sorts of things. And like I said, that's the synthesizing issue. If you have the capitalist-communist dialectic, is abortion still seen as an intrinsic right of people uh, for their pursuit of happiness, whether it's a collective or individualist sense? They're both evil, according to the Catholic Church and Christianity in general, and that is the issue of the WASP establishment for many years having that hidden capitalist, secular uh, ordering of economics and cosmology, while well, everybody LARPed about Christianity, uh, generally speaking, and you know the Roe v. Wade and Rockefeller support. We'll talk about all that stuff later. But nonetheless, that is that right faction of pagan Rome and promoting abortion, where the left faction is much more radical and oftentimes is a reaction to that, but it's Satan casting out Satan. Now, the question is, is Trump sort of a synthesizing point against abortion or a potential for it? And both of those factions, whether it's pagan right Rome on the Republican side or neocon side and the crazy leftist Jewish Gnostic side are both revolting against that. And that is where some of the surprise comes where certain Republicans were turning against Trump as well. And that is perhaps, I think, where some of the very interesting things start to happen despite, again, always remembering those red flags concerns about Trump that we already mentioned. So that lays the foundation for ancient Rome, the old Rome, and the coming of Christianity and the original apocalypse and revealing of the universal kingdom of Christ, the destruction of the Jewish temple and all that stuff. And that same objective time period in apocalypse affected people in very subjective ways Were for the Jews they lost their temple they had to create a new religion through the Pharisees casts the Gnostics were basically wiped out and really didn't make any sort of comeback until uh, the Cathars really in any overt sense even if they're lurking in the shadows right and all that stuff coming out of Constantinople and the dualism um and but that was about you know thousand years later or so uh, and then you also have, pagan LARPing during that time, and that brought about the noble savage of the Enlightenment, where Christianity usurped all these amazing pagan tribes who had it all right, and we need to go back to that, whether it's the Aryan uh, noble savage of the Nazis, whether it's going back to the wisdom of the Mayans in the Americas, whether it's going back to the ancient Minerval republics like in the New Roman America, all that stuff, in my opinion, is repeating itself in very interesting ways. So this new Rome, what's going on now with the culmination of all these things happening in this apocalyptic election where Donald Trump seems to be at the center of it and who is unveiling however subconscious it might be around Trump or any of the administration or the people who are attacking him. Very interesting spiritual battles at play that relate to everything going on, like I said, back in the old Rome as it is in the new. And a lot of people are conflating things that don't go together but also trying to separate out things that actually do go together. And we're going to try to place it in a more coherent, objective order throughout all these different incarnations of history leading up to the present as we extend on this in the next segment of this episode, which will be free again for anybody who wants to listen and deal with this fundamental issue of what was called sacrificing your children to Moloch. To gain access to the second hour, head to www.rockstaresoterica.com and become a member to gain all access to all content at all times. Or to purchase individual episodes such as this one, head to schism 206podbeancom